and welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that officially has more episodes than Dominion does expansions. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. We start, as always, with Michael. What you been playing? Well, I've been pretty busy recently, but, you know, even in a busy time of my life, I always find time to play board games. And a couple of the games that I'd like to talk about is, a couple episodes ago, we talked about Blood Rage, and um, so I want to try out playing another of the mythological trilogy of Eric M. Lang's again. Uh, I have played all three already, and so... Brag. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so got uh, the game Onk back to table, which is the most recent one of of uh, Eric's mythological trilogy. I still think it might be my favorite, having played it again, especially back-to-back with Blood Rage. Uh, it does some very interesting things. Blood Rage is an area control Viking theme, where the number of, number of areas that you fight over reduces over time. Mm-hmm. Onk is different in that the amount of areas you fight over goes up over time. Do and you think so, that's do you think that's a very pivotal difference in like how you enjoy the game? No, has nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, it's just something I figured I described. Yeah, you have you're playing as different Egyptian gods. I played as um, the bird guy Horus, and that, that was that was pretty fun. One of the um, many one of the many bird gods, specifically Horus. <laughs> yeah, and it has this one mechanic that at a certain point in the game, the worst two performing players they merge and so they just become one team and on your turn you can take two actions and so whenever they merge each of those players gets to take one action on their turn i was i really didn't know how i felt about it the first time i played it but having played it again uh, i wasn't one of the people who merged but i did see ways that there are benefits to merging so it does give the it does give the people in the back of the pack a benefit to yeah 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 so I wouldn't necessarily call it a catch-up mechanic, so but like they they definitely synergized very well. The two players who ended up they didn't end up winning, but you know they did come close. So okay. it, it was it was pretty nice. So the minis on that are still fantastic and look gorgeous. Uh, I believe I posted on our Instagram. Shout out to the Board Game Famous Instagram at Board Game Famous. <laughs> <laughs> Just filling out those minis. But yeah, the minis in Ankh are nice that I almost want to create a uh, Egyptian-themed D&D campaign just so I can use the minis for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good use uh, for them. Uh, I, saw yeah. the, I saw the picture of the other mini you painted for D&D. Are you going to paint... Would you paint the Ankh ones? I don't feel competent enough. I, you know, work your way up kind of thing. But, mm, I mean, yeah. you, did a good, you did a great job. It looked awesome. And if uh, anybody wants to know what it looks like, you can check out our Instagram. (laughs) Shout out, shout out, shout out. (laughs) Yeah, and the other game that I played was Unmatched, which is... Let me look up who it was released by. It's not Restoration, is it? It says Restoration and Mondo, both on the box. Boom, got Restoration. Unmatched, released by Mondo and Restorations. I don't know what that partnership looks like, but that's what it says on the box. (laughs) (laughs) It is... A, it can be competitive or cooperative, and you're playing as different fantasy, mythological people from various cultures throughout history. Like, you could play as Achilles, you can play as Sherlock Holmes. 
You can play as Bigfoot. You can play as Bigfoot. Uh, you can play as Sun Wukong, the uh, the Monkey King. Okay, I was like, Chi- I have no idea who that is. <laughs> <laughs> you can play as Sun Wukong, the Monkey King from Journey to the West, the Chinese myth. Mm-hmm. Um, Sun Wukong is part of the inspiration for Dragon Ball, by the way. Oh, fun fact. If you don't enjoy our podcast, at least you learned something. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't enjoy your uh, our podcast, I don't know why you've made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for starting on episode 17. Uh, Have a a great life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so you're playing as all these different fantasy, literary, mythological people from various cultures, and it can be competitive or cooperative, and you're on a map moving around and you're battling each other. And so each character plays differently based on how... based on their story. So, for example, for Achilles, Achilles had a partner... And the special ability is whenever their partner dies, Achilles gets stronger. Uh, and then Sherlock Holmes has Watson uh, that allows them to do cool, crazy combos. For uh, everybody have- who can't see, because this is a podcast, Michael just did karate chops in the air. <laughs> so for everybody who can't see, which is everyone, <laughs> here I am using karate chops. And so the person I was playing with, uh, well, the people, because we played a two-on-two match. They owned all the expansions except for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer one. Mm-hmm. And so th- we had a lot of different characters to choose from. And I played as... And I'm going to look this up so I don't butcher, butcher it. So I played as Yanega. Yanega is a legendary princess considered to be the mother of the Mosi people in Burkina Faso. I understood uh, like three of those words. Yeah, so... I I played as a legendary mythological princess of a group of people in Africa. And that oh, was a cool. lot of fun. And she's got a bow and a bunch of followers and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And so we're on the map and you're trying to move and position yourself and there's got different zones and you're you're battling and you're trying to you know, good positioning, good cards and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you play cards to attack and you you play cards defend. Is it? Just, it's like a rock paper scissors mechanic, isn't it? When you uh, no, run it's not into... a rock. It's not a rock paper scissors mechanic. It's um, certain cards will do have uh, certain kinds of damage, and then certain cards will have a certain amount of defense, and you play those in back, and they'll have special effects that allow you to do cool things. Some cards are just fun to use. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was really yeah. good. I've I've heard a lot about a man unmatched. That's um. It's a game that I've been wanting to get to the table for a while, but because just it sounds like fun, you you get you can play as whoever you want throughout yeah. mythology, history, or they've but they started branching out into comics and things like that. Because I know there's going to be Daredevil, um, there's a Hell's Kitchen expansion, so Daredevil is going to be in that. Uh, Deadpool is coming to Unmatched. That's going to be officially licensed. Uh, I was a little incensed when you brought up Unmatched because Restoration Games is the sponsor of the Brothers Murph. And they have oh. their uh, they have their own unofficial, quote unquote, uh, unofficial official expansion coming out from their Kickstarter. It's the Brothers Murph is being added to Unmatched, so I think we need to start working on our own homebrew version so we can beat them <laughs> up in the game. <laughs> All right, and we're not going to release it on Kickstarter, but you know, if you want to use like popsicle sticks <laughs> or something like that, we'll, we can create some rules or something like that. <laughs> A print-and-play version. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I really like how each of the characters plays differently. For example, Yanega, the character I'm playing as, 
She has a bow, so a lot of her attacks are long-ranged. Mm-hmm. And Achilles, you know, wields a spear and a shield, so he's mostly short-range. And so it's a lot of nice positioning and all, and all that kind of stuff. And I can see there being a lot of different interesting matchups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to yeah. try it out. It, it, there's so many expansions right now. Maybe that's what it should have been the opener. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what have you been playing? I've been I've been playing a lot of games lately, but the two I wanted to talk about is the first one is a game that I just bought. I ordered an expansion from uh, I ordered an expansion for a game that I already loved. Went into the store to pick it up and walked out with that expansion and two other games. One of those new games being a game called Floriferous from Pencil First Games. It is a very light, very inviting card game. Uh, the kind of game that I would take and play out in a cafe while sipping on coffee. It's a bit mouthy because it's floriferous. Floriferous. <laughs> but it's a simple card drafting game in the style of King Domino, where all the cards are laid out in a column. And if you pick the card at the top of the column, you get to go first next round. But if you pick the card at the bottom of the column, you go you you pick last next turn. And it's a it's a very nice easy to understand mechanic and you're just grabbing flowers to score points for score points for arrangements that you those are cards that you can pick up or the bottom of every column is just a just a scoring card score two points for every daisy you have or score three points for every beetle you have do you think mom would enjoy it as much as she enjoys king domino you know it's highly possible it's not quite as mathy as king domino is mm-hmm. but um uh, I think it looks nicer on the table. It's got beautiful artwork by Beth Sobel. Uh, it's lovely flowers. So she might like it more. Just how pretty it, she, it is. I know that yeah. does matter to mom. So it's possible. The the uh, the much anticipated mom episode is going to be oh, coming we're, up. We're recording that listeners. one soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's much anticipated to us. I'm not sure we've told anyone. So surprise. What? Yeah, get ready for the mom episode. <laughs> episode 20, the mom episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I bought uh, I bought Floriferous two days ago, and I've already played it three times. So looking forward nice. to playing that, playing that one some more. And the other game I wanted to talk about is, uh, is an oldie but a goodie, and that's The Networks. I bought that. Uh, the Networks was one of the games I played at a very one of my first board game conventions. Not the very first, but an early days one. And we liked it so much that we bought it right then and there. And it's been a staple in my collection for as long as I can remember. It's six or seven years since I've had, since I've had it. This one's designed by Gilhova and produced by, and released by Formal Ferret Games, which is just Gilhova's company. It is a card management game where you're running a TV station and you're trying to air shows at specific time slots. And you have to manage your shows and the seasons of the shows because as we all know tv shows aren't necessarily great their first season and they all have an arc and they kind of drop off near the end and that's when you need to cancel them and get new shows for your lineup and that's what it's all about is just getting shows putting ads on those shows make sure you hire the right stars for your tv shows and it's all done with a very tongue-in-cheek style of humor with it which is something that i really appreciate uh all of the all of the TV shows in the game are parodies of real-life TV shows. And um, we have, I think we have pretty much all of the expansions that have been released. And our box is just packed to the brim. It basically exploding out of its box. Uh, we get it to the table every every so often. It's 
just an enjoyable time. Yeah, I think we played that one a few years ago. De- yeah. Definitely, it's pretty enjoyable. It shows you can make a board game about anything. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> such a unique theme, and it's it's really fun. It's just incredibly simple. Um, it's not. It's a. It's more a Euro style game where it's a resource management, but your resources are money, actors, television ads, and you're. It's all about getting victory points, and it's a bit point salady. But your points are viewers. You're trying to get the most viewers, so they drip a little bit of that theme on everything. And it's just. It's something that pretty much everyone can relate to. So it's super simple to put in front of people, and say, "Hey, you want to try this game?" It's. It plays pretty smooth. There's only a few things you can do on the game, and it's either grab this card for free or throw down a couple bucks and grab a different card. Yeah, I remember it being fun. Mm-hmm. One of my friends who is pretty much the antithesis of me gaming-wise, who really likes heavy thematic games, not necessarily heavy, he really likes in-depth theme games, because if he doesn't get into the theme, he can't get into the game. So he he skips most Euros. He was He likes this one. He'll He'll play this one with me. Yeah, but do you know what we also played recently? And by we, we played it together, which brings us to the next section. The Road to the 100! Recently, we got a group of listeners together on our Discord, sent out the the signal to play a game uh, in the top 100, we got on Board Game Arena, and we had the chance to play Terra Mystica. Let me look up who's designed by... I know you probably have it memorized. I don't. Not this one. Published by Z-Man Games, I think. Probably Z-Man in the United States. I'm so sorry to our one listener in Germany if it's not published by Z-Man. Terra Mystica, released in 2012, designed by... And I hope I don't butcher these names... Uh, Jens Drogomüller and Helga Ostertag. I think you did amazing. Uh, thank you. I speak the third most German. <laughs> <laughs> like David said, we got a couple listeners. Shout out to our Discord and shout out to our listeners <laughs> together. And we played Terra Mystica on Board Game Arena. I think this is one of those games that I, for setup reasons and calculations and rule mechanics, it's nice to play on board game arena because all that was automated because this is a heavier euro style board game Mm -hmm. which would you not agree uh it has a lot of moving parts Uh, the goal of the game is to terraform surprise terra terraform the land around you and then build settlements big cities put out your buildings to get as many points as possible it's divided into six rounds each round you get you get your income based on the buildings that you have placed and they uncover a little section on your mat that gives you more and more stuff every time you put out a building. And each round has a little bonus where you're getting points uh, for doing a specific action that round. And there's really not that many things you can do in the, in the game. It's just all about timing uh, your actions effectively because you can terraform the land next to you and place a building down. You can upgrade a building. You can make a bridge to cross rivers on the map. Or you can go up the cult track and everything else that you can do beyond that is probably some little variation of the four main aspects. Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts. You know, you got the main board with all the different hexagonal lands. You know, we've never seen hexagonal grid spaces before (laughs) uh, with different kinds of territories and you're trying to terraform it and create civilizations. Then you have your own personal board 
with uh, these building tracks. That you know, as you place buildings, it gives you different resources. And then the cult track board. Pretty sure that's a separate board, right? It's a separate board, and it's filled with nonsense. <laughs> it is filled where you're going up in religion, <laughs> and then you've got these bowls of uh, nonsense resources that you're moving from one bowl to the next bowl, and then that bowl to another bowl. That way, you can spend those resources. <laughs> and then I, moving them. Man, I would agree that that is called nonsense resource because uh, I think thematically it's supposed to be magic. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. And so, mechanically, there is a lot going on, like there is in um, in a lot of Euro games. I believe I uh, I posted a link to the, was it the, the Australian group? I think they're, they're New Zealand. They're New Zealand. Oh, God, they're going to hate me for that, if they ever find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> the anti anti Donna's video about board game rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> warning that. Uh, shout out to that video. It's hilarious. Uh, warning the rules to Terra Mystica felt a whole lot like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think where you and I differ is in the digital space. I really struggled to see how these mechanics fit together, whereas your brain thrives on this kind of board game mechanic yeah so i don't know if it's just i've played more euro games than you but terra mystica just made sense to me i learned the rules we all watched the same video i'm pretty sure and then when we sat down to play i just sat down and it was one of those games where i was like okay this has got a lot of moving parts but it all makes sense Everything we're doing makes sense. You want to move up on the cult track because it gives you bonus income at the end of the round. You want to terraform so you can put more buildings out because that gives you more income in general. You want to upgrade your buildings because that gives you different, more powerful abilities as well as required income required income for certain special actions. And I was able to come away with a victory in Terra Mystica, my first time playing. Yeah. It was, it was also really nice having... Yeah, having a full game of people playing. And you have the different colors which act a little bit differently, which is kind of nice. Each each player has special rules. You're not playing exactly the same. Yeah, but, each uh, faction has their own their own unique ability. So it, you got to watch out for everybody's special faction ability and make sure they don't sneak, sneak an area away from you. Uh, a couple of things that I like about Terra Mystica is it's kind of an area control game because you're all trying to grow your cities and you don't want to be bumping up against each other but there are certain discounts for upgrading buildings that are adjacent to people so you want to toe that line of being right next to somebody so you can upgrade for cheaper so you don't have to spend your few precious resources as quickly when you're when you're upgrading next to somebody uh, and then the other mechanism that i really enjoyed in terra mystica is terra mystic has something that is that I like to refer to as like a peekaboo mechanic, where you take something off of your player board, put it on the main board, uh, and you reveal something on your player board. This in this game, it's income. When you place out a, what's called a dwelling, you get more income. But what's different in Terra Mystica is when you upgrade a building, you have to put buildings back on your own mat, so you're covering up that income. So I felt it was an interesting game to juggle the types of income and when you upgrade buildings to get a specific type of currency because your your income is white cubes that are what your workers or yeah so so the uh, the base building gives you one type of income 
and which then is, which is workers. Yep, and each individual, each ad- additional building has a different kind of income. So whenever you upgrade, you're you're trading what you're getting for as income for the next round. And you have to do that. You have to do that intelligently to to get the income when you need it. Absolutely. Something Absolutely. I something I did enjoy about this game, and and it's something I like about this, is is one of the games. One of the things I like to do in my Euro games is play basically economic chicken, where you try and hold out as long as you can with your precious resources to do something important, so you can take two important actions in a row. For example, if I if I terraform a spot, I don't want somebody to immediately come in and build on it. Now, that's a bad example because in this game you can terraform and build in the same action, but that's kind of the feeling I was trying to get at. I waited as long as I could to upgrade a building because in this game when you upgrade it gives magic to somebody else. So I waited until they passed so I could upgrade. And they still got their magic, but they couldn't take a special action like they wanted to that round. Just just some nice delaying. Good old nice delaying. So you said Terra Mystica was released in 2012. That means it's now 10 years old, which is pretty old by board game standards. It's essentially a relic, but it's still in the top 100. So I think that goes to show the kind of legs this game has. Is it still in the top 100? Oh, yeah, it's it's even still in the top 100. Um, Oh, sorry. Uh, For our new listeners, the road to 100 is based on a poster that David has from 2019. August 21st. I know, I know what you're trying to get me to say. <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit of a typo. So David's poster is three years old. So if you are expecting any new games to show up on that, it's not. Uh, we are strictly capped at games that have been released as of. <laughs> the road to the 100 is long and windy. And as I'm traveling on it, it's changed. And I, I might go back and update it once I finish this. But I've still got 40 some games to go. Yeah, but as, just for context, um, if you're expecting a new game to be covered in the Road to 100, until David gets a new poster, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I I definitely agree that it belongs in the top 100. Whenever it comes to Eurogame mechanic-heavy styles, I think even 10 years on, this is one of the better ones. And this is a game that I've heard... I joined the board game community about the time this came out. And I've heard whispers and rumors about this game for a long time. I've heard this is a ton of people's favorite games. You got to get to this to the table. And I finally got it to the uh, the virtual table. And it was well worth playing. It's It was interesting to see a game that is so highly respected from a decade ago that's still respected today. My friends don't talk about it, but... I saw it on the big 100 list. So oh, I didn't I say friends. I, I said people. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about all the videos that I watch. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and our next segment is game of the fortnight, part of the show where we talk about a game that we think should be held above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And this Fortnite, our game of the Fortnite, is Century Spice Road, designed by Emerson Matsuchi and released by Plan B Games. Know that off the top of my head. Didn't have to look it up. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> when was this game released? Oh, crap. Now you're getting to the hard questions. <laughs> 
Oh, come on. I thought, I thought you knew everything about this. I want to say 2017? Yeah, it can't be that new. Oh, 2017 is correct. Boom! So, Century Spice Road was released in 2017, and the main mechanic of Century Spice Road is it's an engine builder. So you've got these resources, which are spices. Uh, the spices are just wooden cubes of various colors, and... Um, one spice represents eight is cheaper and more accessible than they move up in expensiveness and rarity <laughs> in rarity and rarity and you got only the ability to hold up to only hold 10 spices and so you can't just gather them all up you have to you can't just hoard you have you have to use your spice wisely <laughs> and you have a market of getting cards that help you take actions to trade spice from one thing into another thing. So you're basically just trading spice. And um, I consider it uh, one of the quintessential engine building games. Hmm. That's an interesting opinion. I will not refute it, but, you know, I'll disagree eventually later in the as we talk about this. If someone plays Splendor and they like Splendor, because Splendor is one of those uh, gateway games that a lot of people play. Mm-hmm. I point them in the direction of Century Spice Road. So you, you play Century Spice Road over Splendor? I would play Century Spice Road over Splendor. The thing I like about Century Spice Road is its simplicity. Like you're, it is, It's another gateway-style game, a little bit more complex than Splendor, but you can only do a few things on your turn. You can play a card, you can grab a new card you can pick up all the cards you have played or you can spend some of your precious spice to get the order of the city fulfill the order of a city and that's how you score points so turns are dead quick you play a card take your spice next person's turn and you barely have time to think before it's your turn again and you've got your handful of cards and it is i think engine builders are just like you know dopamine generators essentially it's always fun to get rewarded and in this in this game you're constantly being rewarded play a card get some spice uh it's already back to me uh play a card trade this spice for better spices and turn the yellow cubes into red cubes and then turn those red cubes into green cubes and then (laughs) take those green cubes and buy this one thing and so i can get (laughs) get points it's just it is a very well-designed system i don't know about quintessential engine builders i don't know i'm having a hard time refute that if you're new to the hobby yes definitely play this game it's not that heavy, and for its weight, I think it is probably one of the best mm-hmm. engine builders. I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe, maybe I feel about that. <laughs> maybe I feel good about that. Maybe I don't. Would this it's, may determine how we feel about once we get to the Gold Star Award? Right, it, right. It's just playing our hand a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Approachability, astounding. Gameplay, it's very good. It is a very good engine builder. What I think elevates Century Spice Road above other games is and in my interest at it from a design perspective because century spice road is the first game in a trilogy the century trilogy that emerson matsuchi sat down and went i'm gonna make a game i'm gonna make three games and if you own one perfect play it by itself it works good if you own two you can play both of them together they pair up and there's the mechanics from each of the two games work together and if you own all three, you can mix all three of them together and in a game that I like to call Thrice Spice because you've got all three of them. And each in the series is a different mechanic. So Michael said, 
The first one is engine building, and that's all it is. It's pure engine building. The second one is pick up and deliver, and the third one is worker placement. And it it is just a study in design to play this series of games. If you are interested in game design at all, you got to try all three of them out just to see what's going on in Emerson Matsuchi's brain. Just a little bit. It is an interesting insight. I have not played all three. Uh, I know there's one with boats. <laughs> that's the second one. That's the pick up and deliver one. <laughs> I didn't mean to derail this from Spice Road, but to really to really evaluate where a if a game deserves the board game gold star, you have to not see not only see where it's been, but where it where it went. Context matters. Context definitely matters. Uh, and then you know, there's the sequel, uh, Century Spice Road Golems. Yeah, it's not like a. It's not a. That's not really a sequel. It's a retheme. It's the exact yeah. same game, but people Something say like it, that. people say it's prettier. I don't know. Everything's cubes to me. <laughs> uh, there is art on the card allegedly that you get. <laughs> I, I just I just look at the uh, cube symbols. <laughs> now the art the art in Century Spice Road is really nice. Um, it's not a bother. It's not stand out, but it, it's nice. Do you do you own this game? I do not own this game. I just sold my copy just a few days ago, actually. Who? To a stranger on the internet? Who does it matter? (laughs) All right, right, Ted. (laughs) Uh, No, no, that's fine. Um, No, I think think it's just a really good game. I don't own it. I don't feel the need to own it. You don't um, don't have to own every great game. Yeah, I enjoy it every single time I I play it. Okay. Sometimes, for silly reasons, it's kind of like Dominion, uh, where... You've played it enough times that you just try to do silly things sometimes and see what happens. Just, you know, a little bit of experimenting. I think the last time I played it was with you and your wife, Ellen. Um, and, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys notice, uh, my the whole thing I was doing was just getting a bunch of the cheapest type of spice and then just transforming all of that into more expensive spice. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just filling up my rack of tin with, like, yellow spice. Uh-huh. And then just transform. You know, it was just it was just fun, fun and silly. Just uh, it was nice. It was nice. Mm-hmm. So, do you give Century Spice Road the gold, fa- uh, the board game famous gold star? I, Michael, of board game famous, give Century Spice Road the gold star. Even though I sold it, I also give board. Uh, I also give Century Spice Road the board game famous gold star. It may not be the first engine building game i introduced to somebody i think i might rather play splendor but for the sheer brilliance and design that it takes to go above and beyond here's this intro game here's this gateway game play it love it and that will be enough for some people but then the way it works with the other two games it's an incredible it's an incredible design and i can't fault it for that And this next section is Brother Talk. And this fortnight, we are covering the concept of tiebreakers in board games. Now, whenever you brought up this idea, I didn't know if you wanted to discuss uh, games that already have established tiebreakers, or if you a game ends in a tie and it doesn't have a tiebreaker, if you have home rules for a tie. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and hand this over to you and see which um, perspective. Really, I just wanted to talk about your opinion on tiebreakers some games don't have them do you think a game needs a tiebreaker rule what are some of your favorite tiebreaker rules i mean we've already talked about talk about mine at ad nauseum i 
am not the kind of person that needs to win. So if a game doesn't have a tiebreaker, I'm not upset about it. I don't need to be the only winner. I don't need, I just don't need to win, I guess. I'm just there for the fun of it. Games are meant to be fun. But I think if a game has a tiebreaker, it needs to match the tone of the game. Uh, usually, it is, in like the heavy Euros kinds, kinds of games that I play, it's the most of a specific type of resource. And those resources are ranked. Like, oh, whoever has the most gold. If not, whoever, if that's still a tie, whoever has the most silver. If that's still a tie, whoever has the most indigo. If they're still a tie, whoever has the most uh, yada, yada, yada. Until finally there's a tie. Uh, until, until finally there's a winner. And that's typically the style of game that I play. But if there are, if it's like a little party game or a light game, I don't, I don't think there needs to be a tiebreaker rule. I wanted to talk about this just because Ellen and I have been tying a lot more lately and or getting real close scores in games and just been upset about it because I don't think the tiebreaker has gone my way recently. <laughs> it's always uh, it's always fallen on Ellen's side. So I just wanted to get your uh, your opinion on it. I think certain games should have a winner. Certain kinds of games should have a winner. Mm-hmm. But I think certain other kinds of games, it shouldn't matter. Like, I don't get upset. And like you said, it should fit with the theme. Yeah, a lot of games do the whole resource, whatever. And, you know, there's there's a lot of... As long as the tiebreaker emphasizes the right things, whoever has the most victory points and the most resources at the end, I guess that, that's, a, that's a fine tiebreaker. Yeah, it, it, it means whoever has the most potential to get more victory points next. Yeah, yeah. Especially longer games. The longer games should have tiebreakers. I feel um, like nobody wants to play a really long game to have it end in a tie. <laughs> oh, abs- absolutely. There there should be a winner. And, and like you like you said, even though I think I talk about winning and losing on this podcast more than you do, as part of my experience of a game, I, I don't care if I win or lose. Um, mm-hmm. I, like a week later after playing a board game and I, and I lost, I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I guess it's not like it's bothering me. If I'm still thinking and, about it, it's because I had so much fun playing, and I want to try again. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not, like, ugh, yeah. being so upset, I now have to go online and read strategies and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, I don't care about winning and losing so much that the tiebreaker rule is usually the rule I neglect to teach the most. As the teacher of of games in my group i never talk about it until like three quarters of the way through the game and it looks like there might be a tie i have to go through the rule book and I'm like all right what is it i forget what it is again you know i'm into sports you're not into sports uh, and one of the sports i'm into is soccer and soccer has lots of ties so from a competitive standpoint i'm okay with it <laughs> what are some of your favorite tiebreaker rules and if you can't remember your favorites what are your least favorites just trying to remember. It's like you say, you don't bring them up until it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of games that I know have tiebreaker rules that I don't even worry about. I know a lot of people like the tiebreaker rule in Arboretum. Is that the one that's grow a tree? Yeah, the tied players each plant a tree. And uh, whoever's tree grows the tallest in five years, uh, that's the winner. <laughs> do I, I do like do I, that one. <laughs> is it thematic? Yes. It's a small little card game. It doesn't need a serious tiebreaker <laughs> rule, and it it's it's thematic on point. 
grow a tree. I don't know when Arboretum came out, so it might not have been enough time for any of of these tiebreakers to actually have been decided. <laughs> oh, that's an excellent point. Oh, man. <laughs> I gotta I look that up been... and ask that question. <laughs> I don't think it's been five years since Arbor- Arboretum's come out, so technically nobody's won a tie game of Arboretum yet. Uh, well, let me check. Let me can, check on that right now. If you can now. confirm. Yeah, let me check on that right now. That's an excellent point. I gotta know the answer. Okay, so Arboretum came out in 2015. Oh, okay. So a few ties have been broken. However, it wasn't widely available. When was the reprint? So it's ties have been broken since 2020. Yeah. But I can't imagine there have been that many ties. Uh, or that many people who have actually planted trees <laughs> because of no, tying. No, I believe everyone has. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that in my heart of hearts. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if the board game apps that handle scoring, recording of scoring, if they had to program in something to deal with that. <laughs> um, no, but the Rising Sun, I believe it has a track. Rising mm-hmm. Sun, the third of the mythological uh, trilogy by Eric M. Wang. Because uh, so, we just needed to talk about all of them today. Uh, I believe Rising Sun has a track that you move up on and your positioning based on that track is the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. So, and I think I think the track is something like Honor and you, this game is about go go ahead. Honor. <laughs> All right, uh for the, for the listeners, uh David just held his hand over the left side of his face uh, like he is Zuko from <laughs> Or the Last Airbender. Shout out to Avatar: The Last Airbender. <laughs> a lot more, a lot more miming in this episode than normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So back to what I was talking about. Uh, Rising Sun has a track that I believe is called Honor, something like that. And so, yeah, it's very thematic. It's just your positioning on the track, and they do the classic board gaming thing of who's ever on top or bottom, and so even if you're on the same spot, there is positioning within mm-hmm. the same spot. So whoever is in the best position on that wins the tiebreaker so that's uh, i think that's a good way to handle it uh so i've talked about how my favorite tiebreaking rule is from canvas where you're layering colored pieces of art but the art itself doesn't really matter in the game because there's scoring conditions at the bottom whoever scores the most points wins however until the tiebreaker where whoever creates the most beautiful pieces of art wins and the the winner is determined by the non-interested parties the non-tied players they examine the pieces of art and there's a little bit of an art show uh, and i think that is thematically appropriate for that game another another really good tiebreaker rule that i love is from decrypto we talked about this in a previous episode of our podcast i love their tiebreaker rule so much that i actually incorporate it incorporate it in every game that i play where you're trying to crack the code of your opposing team by listening to their clues to certain words. And at the end of the game, if there's a tie, you try and guess those certain words. And we always play that way because that's the most fun part of the game. Uh, So I like that tiebreaker rule. One tiebreaker that I hate is from the game Super Motherload. This is a deck building game set on Mars where you're uh, trying to dig the surface of Mars and get get coal and steel and gems, generate the most money to generate the most points to win the game. To talk about the tiebreaker rule, I first have to talk about the first player rule. The first player rule is whoever most recently dug a hole gets to go first. The tiebreaker rule is if a player lied about digging a hole to become the first player, they lose. Is this a long game? <laughs> because it's, that not, might have... 
it's not a terribly long game, but the tiebreaker rule is not always applicable, so why have yeah. that? I don't know. Is, is it kind of like a funny game? It, it's not. I, I would have allowed it if it had like been a funny-themed game like The Network's. Yeah, yeah. So if it doesn't if it doesn't fit in theme, then it's just like a bad rule. It's very out of place. The game itself is fun, and I've only tied once. But I remember looking at that rule book and going, "Not in my, not in this game." And and I'm I'm okay if there's like if tied, look at this thing. If still tied, share the victory. That's also pretty nice. Yeah, they tried. They were like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah." You don't need to like have three trillion tiebreaker rules <laughs> i know scythe has a lot of tiebreaker rules there will be a winner <laughs> i don't think i've ever come down to where you needed a tiebreaker rule but i don't think i have either but there's a ton I can, there i can understand it it's always okay. interesting in those games that you end up with like 300 points or something like that and they have to have a tiebreaker rule i know <laughs> like, that's hilarious to me <laughs> That particular scenario in Russian Railroad where both players ended with you know, <laughs> 347 points and they have to figure out how to, how to split that. Our game is so well designed that if two players take different strategies but are equally matched, they will tie. <laughs> uh, I like tiebreaker rules. They're, they, can be, they can add a little bit of whimsy to the game with Canvas. Or Decrypto, they can come down to important resources in heavier Euro games, but as long as it's made up front, that's good to know. Uh, and I, I think I agree with you, as long as if it's a heavy game, there needs to be a serious tiebreaker. If it's a, if it's a long game, there needs to be a serious tiebreaker. And the final section of our podcast is Mail Time! The question for this fortnight is, what is your go-to party game? We are usually heavier gamers. We don't play too many party games. So I thought this would be an interesting question to to answer. What uh, what game do you like to introduce to larger groups, families that don't not normally play games as much? What do you? What's your go-to game? I'm glad you added on those, uh, those last two specifiers because every game's a party game if you hang out with a bunch of nerds. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Every party I go to, there's board games. <laughs> and you were talking about it earlier, but depending on the group, the the party games I enjoyed the most are the ones where you're trying to suss out people and how they think. And those two games are Wavelength and Just One. Ooh. I really like Just One. Uh, that is a party game where uh, there's a guy who has to guess a word based on clues given to him. So a card is pulled, he doesn't get to see the card, or they don't get to see the card, uh, <laughs> and they declare a number between one and five, and that indicates which word that they're, that they're going to have to guess. And each player writes a one-word clue on their little stencil, and then before the guesser sees the clues, all the clue givers compare. And if any of the clues match, then the guesser doesn't get to see that clue. Mm -hmm. And so you're sitting there thinking like, oh, is this clue, clue too obvious? Is someone else going to write it? But you don't want to give like too obscure of a clue to help guess the word. Like <laughs> <laughs> I try to go with um, descriptors. Like, for example, if the word that they're trying to guess is axe, I might write something like sharp. I think body spray is one word. <laughs> so so that, would, that would be a, uh, a good clue, I think. <laughs> and oh yeah and the other game was wavelength 
and that's one of my favorites because you have a wheel and uh, you spin the wheel and you lift this screen and the wheel will have an indicator that's pointed somewhere all the way to the left, all the way to the right, and somewhere in between. Then you have a thing uh, that says, that's like, oh, far, far left is salty, far right is sweet, and if your indicator is something in the middle, you have to de- describe, give a clue that you think fits wherever the indicator is in that spectrum in there. And then you put the screen back on, and you turn it around to the guessers, and you give your clue based on that spectrum of salty to sweet, or whatever it is, and they have to guess where along the spectrum the indicator sits. This one, I think it's interesting that you chose two cooperative games. People are working together in both Just One and Wavelength. Uh, and two... Wavelength just ref- uh, just released a free app that I have not stopped playing all day. Like, it came out just a few days ago, and I've been playing it all day today. <laughs> Whenever Ellen and I are sitting down, show's on, we're like, mm, you know, I'd rather be playing Wavelength. I was actually late to recording this episode because we were playing Wavelength on our phones. So definitely check that one out. I think it's, it's, it's really easy if your range is on the edge of of the two descriptors like salty or sweet it's easy on an extreme but if it's right in the middle or slightly to the left it's really hard there was one i got that was slightly to the left my range was good for your health bad for your health and i chose a carrot dipped in chili (laughs) ellen (laughs) did not get it (laughs) and that's the whole thing with wavelength is it's hilarious because you're trying to see if you're on the same wavelength between you and the other person, or people, because you can play this in a group, we uh, should, which is always fun. We which should. is always funny, just sitting there uh, and what giving your clue, and then just watching them debate it, and just suffering because you completely misunderstood how they were going to react to this, <laughs> and they're just sitting there debating on how where the indicator should go, and they're completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. Uh, we should. Uh do a call out in our in our discord and get people to download it and play it sometime soon oh absolutely because i definitely had a blast i'm pretty sure it's cross-platform i guess it's my turn to answer this question uh some of my favorite party games are a fake artist goes to new york that is a semi-cooperative game where everybody's working together to draw the same picture and you're drawing one line at a time and a line is defined as putting your pen to paper drawing something and then taking your pen off and everybody's drawing the same picture except somebody one player doesn't know what everybody is drawing and they have to fake it till they make it. So you want the players who know what they're drawing want to draw a line that's obvious enough to everybody to convey the message, hey, I know what we're drawing, but not so obvious that the fake artist can figure out what everybody's drawing and be able to to fit in or guess what the drawing is. And it's you don't have to be a good artist to play this game. It's just... It's really funny, and I have played this game with actual professional artists, and I felt like a fish out of water, but I still did pretty good. That game is really fun. One of my favorite parts about it is, so each player gets to draw two lines, including the fake artist, and after you draw the two lines, you try to suss out who the fake artist is, and so there's kind of this interrogation phase where you go you go and just one person, and you're like... Oh, and each each player has a different color marker, so you can see which line. You can e- easily see which line was drawn by who. Mm-hmm. And so you, you'll have this tiny piece of paper in the middle of the table, and you'll just point at this one purple line and be like, 
explain this. <laughs> what, are, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you? What What is going on here? Because uh, and, and then exactly, everybody has everybody has to defend themselves without giving it away. Still, <laughs> yeah, you still can't say what it is because in that interrogation phase, the fake artist might be able to suss out uh, what the picture is. <laughs> and then another another game that I want to talk about. I know it as Bulls, the Bull game, um, but it's it's been re- released in an official copy as Moniker, something that Shut Up and Sit Down absolutely loves, where you get a... In Monikers, there's a bunch of cards that you can choose from. In Bulls, my Ellen's family plays it, where you just write down your topics that you're going to be guessing, and there's three rounds. The first round is you're just trying to describe what's written on this card, and everybody guesses it. And you get a certain amount of points for guessing that. Then the second round, you use the exact same topics. They're just all thrown back in the bowl. And you can only use one word. And then after that round, it goes back and you do charades. And it, you're, since you're using the same topics over and over, you get familiarity with these. And it's a it's a hoot. Uh, I love playing it with Ellen's family. I love playing it with our family. And I think you know I'm referring to yeah. your race car. Michael got the word race car. And since he was on the opposite team of me, I was being incredibly pedantic. So Michael goes to start to choose his one word. He says the word I. And I said, oh, that's your word. I is a word. You can only say the word I. And he was trying to get people to guess race car. And he said... <laughs> it was absolutely perfect. I... <laughs> I know I, I knew I was being a jerk to you by saying that's your word. You can't do anything else. <laughs> but the way you delivered your word was incredible. The other team got it immediately, and we all cheered because it was well-deserved. And it's, it was just a party game that created that perfect moment. Yep, definitely recovered. It made you look like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to a party, take a look at uh, a few of those games that Michael and I mentioned. It's... You're guaranteed to have a good time with one of those. Unless you're no fun at all, then. (laughs) (laughs) And now we come to the end of another podcast. But don't worry. Don't shed a tear. We'll be back in another fortnight. If in that time you have to you have to contact us, you can reach us by emailing us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com or by joining our Discord in the link below, or by following us on Instagram, also with the link below. Bye-bye now. (laughs) Bye.